Good morning from the newsroom of the Financial Times. Today is Wednesday, July 10th, and this is your FT News Briefing. Mexico's finance minister resigns over differences with President Andres Manuel López Obrador. Shares in Levi Strauss slipped after the jeans maker's second earnings report since returning to the public market, and pressure is mounting against Boris Johnson as he tries to remain the frontrunner in the UK Conservative Party leadership race. Plus, the FT's Joe Renison tells us about a new threat to investors in the leveraged loan market. I'm Mark Filipino, and here's the news you need to start your day. On Tuesday, Mexico's finance minister, Carlos Orzua, resigned, citing differences with leftist president Andres Manuel López Obrador, also known as AMLO. The move sparked a sell-off in Mexican financial assets, from the peso to government bonds. The peso weakened as much as 2% against the dollar to become the worst-performing emerging market currency of the day. Here's FT Markets reporter Colby Smith. In his resignation letter, Mr. Orzua spoke of the many disputes that he's had with the president and the fact that he's seen the imposition of officials who don't know about public finances. These are pretty harsh words, and they were greeted with much surprise and investor angst. And since AMLO's inauguration um, last December, investors have raised a lot of concerns about his penchant for populist policies, his willingness to actually maintain fiscal stability and put in place the right policies to deal with ongoing situations like Pemex, which is the state-owned oil company. There's been concern about Pemex for some time now, given its financial situation and the fact that it's more or less uh, bankrupt. And there's budding disagreements about how to go about bailing out the state-owned company without damaging the financial health of the state. Many investors believe that that may be one of the reasons why we saw the resignation from the finance minister on Tuesday. Now, in his place, AMLO has appointed the deputy finance minister, Arturo Herrera, to be uh, the finance minister now. He's seen as a safe pair of hands for investors, someone who is economically orthodox and known to markets. So investors did see some reprieve from that decision. But of course, questions still remain about what weight he will bear in terms of determining the policy mix of the country going forward and keeping the country's fiscal health in check. Shares in Levi Strauss shed 6% on Tuesday, after the jeans maker's second batch of results since returning to the public market. Levi Strauss's net income in the second quarter dropped to $29 million this year, down from $77 million for the same period in 2018. Costs from advertising spending, unfavorable foreign exchange rates, and its stock market debut weighed on these earnings. But it wasn't all bad news. Levi said it was on track to produce net revenue growth for the full year stripping out any currency fluctuations, and improved margins. Assuming currencies had been constant, Levi's second quarter revenues rose 9% to $1.31 billion. And the pressure is mounting against Boris Johnson, as the former UK Foreign Secretary hopes to remain the favorite to replace Theresa May as Britain's Prime Minister. In a Conservative Party leadership debate on Tuesday night, candidate Jeremy Hunt asked Mr. Johnson if he would resign if Britain didn't leave the EU on the current October 31st deadline. 
Mr. Johnson refused to answer the question. Deal. We I, must I, stick to that deadline. I think it's a no. And what we've got is someone who says it's do or die for I'm the sorry, country. I, I'm sorry. I'm well, sorry. Uh, I think what we have with No, no, uh, I asked you if you'd resign, Boris. What I have with my you opponent didn't is somebody, the question. Somebody will you resign not, if you don't deliver you, it? Yes well, or no? Mr. Johnson also evaded a question regarding Britain's ambassador to the U.S., Sir Kim Derrick. President Donald Trump said the U.S. will no longer deal with Sir Kim after diplomatic cables critical of the Trump administration were leaked. When asked, Mr. Johnson refused to say whether he would keep Sir Kim on as the U.K.'s ambassador in Washington. And what do you UK, make of what he said? Uh, you know, I, I don't think, you know, it, he was... Uh, he was dragged into a, a The 160,000 members of the Conservative Party will vote for their leader, who will become the UK's next prime minister. The results are due on July 23rd. And here's a closer look at a story you should know more about. There has been a boom in the leveraged loan market in the decade since the financial crisis. With these loans, groups of investors are primarily lending money to already indebted or risky companies. Private equity firms often secure these loans to fund buyout deals. And the market has grown to about $1.2 trillion. It's grown for a few reasons. Interest rates have been relatively low, which encourages borrowing. Investors have also been eager for returns higher than they might be able to get elsewhere. And because leveraged loans have become so popular, it's given borrowers the upper hand. These companies have been able to loosen some of the lending standards, meaning they'll have more flexibility if they run into trouble. Joe Renison is a capital markets reporter for the FT in New York. He recently reported on leveraged loans and a new problem emerging in the market. The latest kind of iteration of this slow kind of pairing back of investor protections is around the disclosure of financial information. Borrowers are putting into deal documents the ability to take longer and longer and longer to deliver financial information to investors. It used to be about 45 days for quarterly reports. That's now typically 60 days. In some cases, it's 90 days. And so what this means is that if you're an investor in one of these companies, you're only finding out about the health of that company, how it's doing, whether you want to remain invested in it, months and months and months after that information is actually useful in some way. And what I find really interesting about this, and investors were expressing this to me as I was doing the reporting on this story, is... With all of the other kind of loosening of documentation, investors say, look, fundamentally, we're here to invest in good companies that will pay us back. So long as we do that, these other kind of weakening of documents doesn't really come into play. They only come into play for defaulting companies or companies that are in trouble. But in order to make that assessment, you need to know how a company is doing and the health of it. And so that's why this particular bit of documentation weakening is so interesting because it's actually reducing those investors' insight into the companies that they invest in, and that reduces our ability to make good, sound investment decisions. So then what are private equity owners saying to justify the delays? Sure. Their argument is, look, when you do a leveraged buyout, often of two existing private companies that aren't used to dealing with investors, that don't have to put together these kind of financial reports uh, and disclosures and things like that, it's actually really difficult to get those financial disclosures together to give them to investors. And if you don't get them together in time, 
by the deadlines set within these deal documents, then you're paying fees and charges and you, it costs money. And so as you're doing more and more complex kind of M&A activity, they say they need more time to put this stuff together. And it's also why, and this is true, in a lot of instances, you have a longer amount of time in the first year to deliver financial information, and then it reduces slightly. The other point they make is, especially with calls with management, this is another kind of bit that's been loosening, where investors aren't having calls with management, like quarterly calls, investor calls, that sort of thing. And the private equity guys say, the reason we don't want to be bound to have to have these management calls is at some point we're probably going to want to sell this company. And we don't want to then have to have a management call where management might feel obligated to tell investors that they're going to sell the company. And that could have repercussions or or problems. So investors want this information. Are there any signs that they're getting what they want? Yeah, a little bit. And it kind of depends. It depends on how much appetite there is to buy each loan. So if I'm a, a more highly rated company and I'm issuing a loan in large size that's very appealing to investors, I'm going to be able to get away with having much, much looser documentation. If I'm a more precarious company on the brink of default, for sake of argument, that's looking to raise debt to kind of carry on business and that sort of thing, uh, which is a less appealing company to invest in, then investors are able to push back and win sort of tight financial disclosures within the deal documents. So it really does depend on what demand exists to actually own the debt that's being sold as to whether deal documents gets tightened or loosened. You can read more on all of these stories at FT.com. Today, we'll be following the Federal Reserve again. The Federal Open Market Committee will release the minutes from its last meeting. And the head of the U.S. Central Bank, Jay Powell, will deliver his monetary policy testimony to the Financial Services Committee of the House of Representatives. He'll go before the Senate Banking Committee on Thursday. This has been your daily FT News Briefing. Make sure you check back tomorrow for the latest business news. Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. In unscripted conversations with investment professionals, you'll hear real stories about successes and lessons learned, informed by decades of investment experience. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. New episodes are available monthly. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes in an episode today. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.